Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. KubeCon, Cloud NativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. The vendor neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, Core DNS, Container D, and more. Okay, another discussion with our friends from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. I am joined by my co-host, Cheryl Hung. How are you? Hey, Alex. I'm doing great. And as always, I love being on the new stack. So thank you for having me again. Well, so happy to have you here. And this is perhaps, I think, our third discussion about the tech radar. And the tech radar really looks at particular technologies that are being used in the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And today, joining us to discuss these topics, and they are end users, and that's a big part of what we're doing here is talking with the end users because Shell leads that effort at the CNCF. And we have Federico Hernandez, who's a principal engineer at Meltwater. Hello, Federico. Hello. How are you doing? Good. And Simone Sharadi, he's an engineering team lead at Meltwater. Hello, Simone. Hi, everyone. Very good to be here. You know, we often have people from all over the world on our shows, and today's no different. So we were just talking beforehand about the pronunciation of Federico and Simone's names. And Federico said, you might not think where we are considering our names. And so, Federico, where are you located? We are located in Sweden, in Gothenburg. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is different. Is that where the company is based? One of the offices is based in, in Gothenburg, but Meltwater is based around the globe. The engineering efforts are based in nine plus offices, Asia and Europe and the North America. We have countries like the US. Okay. We have Canada, we have England, Sweden, Germany. Hungary, and India are the major engineering offices. Simone, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the company. The company is uh, Meltwater, and we are a media monitoring, monitoring company. We try to provide insights to our customers on what the social space is telling about them. We have a marketing and PR platform for our customers. And in engineering, it's a company that's 21 years old, and we recently went public in the Oslo Stock Exchange. So about... 2,500 people at the moment. So Cheryl, I'm going to turn it over to you. And perhaps you could talk a little bit about the topic for today and what made this particular tech writer different from the others. I found it pretty interesting. Absolutely. Just to set a bit of context, Federico and Simonia are both part of the CNCF end user community. So Two of the volunteers who really put this tech radar together, including choosing the topic of this one. This is now, I think, our fifth edition. And the topic of this is multi-cluster management. One of the things that I noticed when I was looking over this topic compared to the previous ones is that you actually only need multi-cluster management when you have a medium to large size organization, I would say. So there were fewer responses from startups, from small companies who are only managing maybe a handful of clusters. And I think a little bit more on the bigger companies who are using multiple cloud providers and who are managing tens or hundreds or even thousands of clusters. I really found this discussion, the topic is a great point for discussion. 
Because this is an issue that everyone is facing, no matter what stage you're at. It doesn't matter if you're just starting or if you've been running Kubernetes for a few years. And Federico and Simone, doesn't that play a big part in thinking through just how we perceive Kubernetes and how we perceive cloud-native technologies and how we think about how they're deployed and then actually managed? Yes, as you said, I think it's interesting that everyone is involved, everyone is affected, and it doesn't really matter which stage of the journey you're on. And actually, from some extent, when you start, it actually makes a difference in what tools you're actually using, because some tools were available at a certain point in time, some new tools are available later, and if you've invested a decent amount of effort and time in the previous tools, then you need to find something that justifies the return on the investment on moving to something that is new. And I think that's kind of reflected a bit in the in the results in what we see. The other interesting part is that most often you don't start from scratch. The company exists. You have your existing applications that bring money into the company. You have your existing infrastructure. You have your existing requirements, policies, way of doing things in the company. And then you put Kubernetes into there. So... Rather than adapting the company, often you need to adapt Kubernetes to fit into the existing playing field. Cheryl, what's on your mind when you think about this topic? There's probably some things you'd like to you know, learn from this discussion yourself that and you probably have discussed, but maybe there's some additional context that you would love to kind of explore. I think for me, the thing that was interesting about this is that every company does seem to be doing it differently. And as both Federico and Simone said, a lot of this comes back to the history and the point in time when companies chose to move towards Kubernetes or move towards cloud native. That to me is interesting because it is a little bit different from previous radars where we've seen where pretty much everyone needs to pick a secrets management tool and there's only a handful of tools out there. So people tend to settle on one quite quickly. Something that I think was quite interesting about this is that there's so many different ways to do cluster management and so many different combinations of it. And also so much custom tooling needed around it. Federico, maybe I'd love to get your thoughts on why do you think there is so much custom tooling in this space? Yes. The interesting part was there also that it didn't matter on the custom tooling if this was on Kubernetes clusters that were brought up by any of these installers, or if this was even done by companies using and depending on managed Kubernetes. That was really one thing that surprised me to see that every company that relied on managed Kubernetes also relied on custom in-house tooling. The reason for that is to adapt the Kubernetes building block to the internal ways of doing things, to the applications that are being handled and and run by Kubernetes and the entire ecosystem that lives inside that company. So you have a managed Kubernetes, but you need to somehow manage the managed Kubernetes so it works the way you wanted to have it inside your company. Yeah, I remember when we were actually choosing the topic, one of the other people on the radar team said, I was hoping that somebody else would figure it out. Everybody else would have figured out the right way to do it. And that was not the case, right? We saw that everybody ended up building custom tooling around it. If you can, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about how it works at Meltwater. 
We also use some custom tooling. We use COPS for, for building our clusters. And to go back to the point that everyone needs this, we don't have a massive amount of clusters. We're between five and 10, but we also build a number of development clusters. So even if it's not, we're not talking production clusters, the action of actually building and managing even ephemeral clusters is something that we do often. So those tools are still needed from our point of view. I was thinking earlier that it's a bit of a maybe utopic. Would you think that one tool will rule them all? Because in, in a way, you're not building this thing in a greenfield when there's nothing else. It's something that needs to go into what you have already. And for us, the, the kind of extra tooling that we use around it is Terraform because we're acquainted and that's the way that we manage our cloud resources. And a bit of in-house custom tooling to manage, for example, upgrades because Despite COPS being a very good tool and having a very reasonable approach to, to upgrades, then it doesn't always fit with what our requirements are specifically. So we need to somehow wrap the tool around the tool to manage what we want to manage. Yeah, and since you mentioned COPS, something that was new in this radar compared to the previous ones is that you decided to divide the solutions into two subcategories. So cluster deployment and then core services and add-ons and differentiate between the tools that you use for deployment, like COPS, versus something that you use to manage the day two operations. So why did you think it makes sense to have two separate categories and two radars? They belong together, but are really, really different. The one category to, to manage Kubernetes is like the base naked Kubernetes cluster, but that one is not usable on its own. Every cluster needs a couple of core services, base services, add-ons that need to be installed into the cluster. Let it be monitoring, logging, tracing, or any other thing that you need in your environment to operate the cluster in the way that your applications on the cluster also need it. There might be a cert manager, there might be external DNS. So I mentioned now a five, six, seven different things, and those also need to be managed. Those need to be put into the cluster. Those need to be upgraded from time to time. Those need to be changed. So you have there a variety of components that need to be available on top of the naked Kubernetes cluster. And it was interesting for us to see how those are managed in the difference of the Kubernetes cluster itself. I think another aspect is that we initially started adding even more categories like networking layer and so on. And then we decided, oh, no, this is going to be too much. So we need to limit to two categories that make sense that can be paired together. Some of the feedback that I'm hearing lately is about how widespread Kubernetes actually is inside enterprises. And I'm hearing estimates of anywhere from just one cluster to five to 10. And I think Canonical just did a study that said about 20% of the respondents to their survey had uh, five or more clusters. Now, I'm trying to equate that to actually the percentage of the enterprise that's actually building out Kubernetes. Is this one of the biggest, I don't, I don't want to say an obstacle, but one of the challenges that they face is how do you multiply the number of clusters? Because now if you're like multiplying the number of clusters you have, you need to be thinking about the custom tools that you're developing don't you? You have to think about, okay, is this tool going to be applicable to another cluster? Because the clusters may have all different purposes. So I'm just curious about this weighing effect and maybe what you were learning when you were talking to people or hearing from them. 
there's the thing also, like, how do you want to, to run your Kubernetes environment? Do you want to put all your eggs into the same bag and have a huge cluster for everything? Or are you dividing it by perhaps cost center? Or are you dividing it by different application styles? And once you start, perhaps you start small, but then you realize I have the requirements for this cluster, this applications, and they differ totally from the first one. And then you need to add this on top of it. Are you running this in the same AWS account or in different VPCs? Then you need to fit those things, configuration parameters into your tooling. And then you realize that you haven't thought of these things in the beginning. It's like a journey where you constantly change and adapt the way of how you deploy this. And this can really be a hinder for companies that are more enterprisey or also operating in the old way of um, having their own data centers and not having the flexible infrastructure that is needed to install these things, operate these things, but then also change and adapt these things to the new requirements, to the new way of growing and doing things. And that gets into the day two operations, doesn't it, in many ways, and which was really the focus of the other part of your analysis where you looked at how do you actually manage the operations themselves, isn't that right? Yes, and then that space leads to me, it seems a bit clearer, as in there's a number of tooling that we see that are widely adopted. In some cases, they're kind of doing the same job, and it might be a matter of preference or what you started with. And we saw that, for example, Hellman Customize, very widely adopted and it's also reflected in the amount of Helm charts that are available for anything that you might want to install, for example. But also we saw that a lot of people are using operators to at least to manage the core services. And in some cases also to manage more day to in products like Kafka or, I don't know, Elasticsearch and things like that. This space is still fractured, but it's, to me, looked at a little bit clearer where we're going. Something that I noticed on this radar as well is that it was very adopt heavy. So a lot of the tools ended up in the adopt phase and not many in the trial or the assess one. Do you remember why that was the case and what does that mean? The fact that we had that many in the adopt thing is that you're using Kubernetes, you're using the core services, you're running those in production. And to be able to do that, you have adopted a set of tools and you made them working. And the thing is that probably not that many are assessed or in trial is that the pain of these adopted tool is not big enough to move away from something that is working, that you made working, to something new unknown that you don't know yet how good will it work or how good will the replacement be of the things that you know. And it also requires probably a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of investment to switch over to something completely new. And if there is not the pain to do it, no one will switch just for the switch. To add to it is that we also saw that companies that were using operators were also using tools like Helm or Customize or Argo and Flux for different things. And I think in some cases it might also depend on how what you're trying to do is packaged. Because if you want to install a specific application and it's packaged with an operator, then you would probably use that. If it's packaged as an Elm chart, that's the most convenient thing to do, then you go with that. So this spread is also 
maybe sometimes due to the fact that this is what is available to you as a more packaged solution rather than just building it from scratch. I mean, that makes sense to me. I think you would use whatever is most convenient for you at the time. But one of the themes that you noticed in the radar is that quite a lot of companies were interested in cluster API. Can you talk a bit about cluster API and describe what it is and why companies are excited about it? Yes, the cluster API makes it possible to to manage your Kubernetes cluster in the same way as you manage your objects that you deploy into the Kubernetes cluster. You have deployment stateful sets, you have secrets, and the cluster API adds the possibility of adding the Kubernetes cluster as an object to Kubernetes. And then you can use the same YAML, the same way of thinking to manage the cluster. The way why this was looking, a lot of companies are looking forward to this, I assume is because they're familiar to use YAML, to think in the way of Kubernetes objects. And a lot of people then hope that this will reduce the complexity of gluing things together, of having this custom tooling that manages your cluster to to the upgrades, to um, bring up new nodes, to change the configuration. Rather than writing your, your own tools around the existing installers and the managed solutions, you would just interface with the same API towards Kubernetes to manage your clusters. And that probably brings a lot of hope to people to be able to reduce their custom tooling. If it will succeed, this is another thing to wait for and see. I was thinking as you were talking about it, Federico, that this is basically moving the cluster management into the space of the core services, because then you're going to do the same thing and can use the same tools as like Helm and Customize and to basically manage clusters rather than manage deployments or stateful sets. So in a way, it kind of removes the first part of the radar to a certain extent, and it focuses you more on the tooling that seems also more consolidated in the other area. When was the cluster API developed? It has started a while back and it evolves. It evolves at the pace that is reasonable for the community to adapt the API. And it's also something completely new. So while you develop it and you adopt it slowly, you get more experience with it. And then this is a feedback then back to the developer community to make the changes that you have learned from the very, very early adopters on using it and operating it. It's still evolving and still changing. And that is also why maybe not everyone is already moving to it because they have a working solution with the adopted self-developed management tools. So have you been adopting it? We have only looked at it, but uh, not adopting it into development or production, more in the experimentation phase. So how do you start your experimentation? I think in that case, we would, I mean, just like with anything, we generally tend to do some kind of research and understanding why this would benefit us and see if the return on investment is enough and then run some tests. And then generally with dog food, we have some Kubernetes clusters that are just for our internal products as a platform team. And so we generally apply that to and dog food, whatever we're experimenting with there. I think one important thing in this case would be the, the migration path because whatever you're using to build your cluster, could you import that into cluster API? Because that is, if you have to move 
from one cluster to another that you created, that's also another problem. And for that problem, we don't really have a solution because it would be still be presented to the users as two different things at this point. But I think the ideal state is that you could move the clusters behind the API without the users noticing. You have one API for the users and the number of clusters you have behind that, it's up to you, but it's invisible to the user. But if you want yourself to get a a grab on the cluster API, it's just to go to the cluster API homepage. There is a quick start with a nice tutorial. Works locally on your laptop to get a grab of what is possible and available with it. I like to dive a little deeper into these topics because I'm curious about even like the research that you were doing. Like, what is that approach you take when you do your research? Are you reading the documentation? What are you looking for when you're doing research, for instance, on something like a cluster API? Reading the documentation and then hands-on experiments. But as Simone mentioned, at some point you want to deploy this into production. So you need to switch over to something. And the experimentation phase and research phase includes a lot of that is how do you switch over to something? How do you put it into production without affecting your users, without affecting your internal customers or the other engineers in your company? that are relying on your platform, that are relying on Kubernetes being up and running and being able to run the applications they develop, because in the end, that is what brings money into the company. So whenever we do something to get into the new, into the cluster, we always look into not affecting the other engineers, not affecting the other applications. This migration path is very important for us. Maybe we could just talk a little bit about the tools that appeared in the radar. I saw Terraform. Again, you know, you, you cited custom tools. And that just strikes me as so interesting because as someone who's covered the enterprise for many years, I found that custom tools are equated often with custom scripts. And in the development of a custom tool means that you're really dependent on that person who's to, who developed it. And I could see then the value of the API, why you'd want that because just of like, resilience and durability and, all, and so on and so forth. But what are some of the tools that people are depending on? What are those ones they really want that they're seeing as, as ones they're adopting? I think generally for what we saw, uh, Terraform was widely adopted. And it really didn't matter that much if the cluster was built, for example, with COPS or other tools, or if it was public cloud managed service. I'm guessing that if it's a managed service, you can actually manage the service and the creation of the cluster through, through Terraform. Like in our case, we use Terraform for creating extra security groups outside of what the tool would do to take care for uh, communication with other accounts, for example. And in some cases, we also use Terraform for managing the resources inside Kubernetes, just because we can rely, for example, on external modules and state of Terraform for other resources, and we can pull in that data to then have available in, uh, in the Kubernetes resources we, we are creating, for example, list of IPs and account IDs, for example. This then also basically brings the thing again to the in-house tooling is you have Terraform on one side and then you have Kubernetes on the other side. And then is how do you bring those two worlds together? Terraform and Kubernetes, they manage different things and you need to move the information from one Terraform island to the Kubernetes island. And that often is only possible with your in-house tools, your scripts, to merge this and glue these things together. On the core services side, we saw, yeah, there was also Terraform, but then there were more the known Kubernetes cloud-native tooling. There was Helm, Customize, and the operators that were really in the adopt phase. And how you then put those things into the cluster that was 
often managed by the GitOp tools like Flux and Argo or any other CI/CD tool that puts these things into Kubernetes. But for the Terraform part, is it's the gluing thing that still requires the other stuff, I would say, for everyone. That's the challenge right there. Yep. You mentioned GitOps, and I know GitOps is a very, very hot topic right now. Are you using GitOps at Meltwater? Yes, we're using GitOps, but not with the GitOps tools that you would normally see, like Flux on Argument. GitOps is more like a way of doing things. You have your code, you have your infrastructure, you have your configuration managed as code in Git, and then you put it into Kubernetes. How you put it into Kubernetes, it's depending on the tool. Flux and Argo, they pull stuff. Classical CI-CD tools push things into it. I would argue that even using a classic CI-CD tool, we use drone that pushes stuff into the cluster is also GitOps. You have your configuration, you have your state in Git, it gets into the cluster. If it's pulling or pushing, this is kind of like taps and spaces. <laughs> <laughs> For an organization that's just starting the journey towards multi-cluster management, do you think anything is missing at the moment? I think a really clear view on what are the different options, what are the shortcomings, what you should look at in the future. For example, as someone mentioned earlier, if you start with one, then you might, you might not consider that at some point you're going to have multiple clusters. That's going to happen. And so which tools are going to be adaptable to that scenario? To some extent, something like the radar, this is what is missing. And I think in general, this is what I think CNCF Foundation is doing a lot very well. That is providing this kind of guidance and overview of what is available and giving some kind of guidance of things you should think about and depending even maybe at the scale and the state of your where you are in your journey. It's all these user stories that will show you how are other companies, other people doing things and how they transition perhaps even. This clear transition from small to large, from a few clusters to a lot of clusters, there is no map that shows you the clear way to it. You, you have to rely on these kind of stories, the tech radar, end user stories, cases. Also, the regular calls that we do in the um, end user community are very valuable to discover the ways of doing things and helping you in your journey because you get exposed to a lot of ways of how things are done. Well, I want to thank you all for participating today. Cheryl, thank you so much for co-hosting. It's another Tech Radar. This is becoming something to look forward to. Do you have any idea what's coming up next or is that still to be determined? To be determined at this stage. But I'm really glad to hear from Federico and Simone that this is a useful tool for them. I know you also had fun putting it together and talking to the other companies while doing it. So that was really my goal with this. It was like, let's cut through all the hype and all the chaos and try to figure out what people are really doing. So I have fun with it every time and we'll look forward to the next one in Q3. Oh my gosh, Q3. Federico and Simone, I want to thank you both. And thank you for putting all this information together. I know you put a lot of work into this and it really shows. I would really encourage people to look at this. It really raises a lot of questions, a lot of topics to discuss. I am particularly now very interested in the cluster API and my mind just keeps going back to the network and you know, words I'm hearing now pop up more like the substrate, how we think about the ways different cloud services actually can configure their infrastructure itself. So there's lots of topics to explore here, and I really appreciate your time and look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. KubeCon, Cloud NativeCon conferences gather adopters and technologists to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. The vendor neutral events feature domain experts and key maintainers behind popular projects like Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, Core DNS, Container D, and more. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast to listen to more episodes of the New Stack Makers. Then create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more great stories, go to the newstack.io.